Happy New Year and welcome to another episode of You've Got to Read This. We can't think of a better way to kick off a new year than with a fresh pile of books to get you through the winter months. Today, we have five book reviews, two historical fiction, two contemporary fiction, and a work of speculative fiction. Let's get started with hopes of introducing you to something new. We begin today's episode with a novel entitled Still Life by Sarah Winman. We mentioned this book briefly last episode as we left it on a community bookshelf at a hotel in Barcelona. In fact, I think I had to pry the book out <laughs> of your hands. You did. You know, I feel like if if you leave a book on a community bookshelf at a hotel, it should be a really good book. I don't think people should leave books they thought. Right. Yeah. Just don't discard a book because you read it and you're like, eh about it yeah but I really didn't want to leave it but we left it and because it's a really wonderful story and we picked up another copy (laughs) a book to be shared yes still life is a novel that follows the lives of two fictional characters who cross paths during world war ii after the war they go their separate ways and reunite many years later the story begins in tuscany italy in 1944 during the height of world war ii as allied forces are successfully forcing germans to retreat north and out of italy a woman named evelyn skinner is one of the story's two protagonists she's a british art history professor in her early 60s and is in italy to assist the allied forces in identifying and repatriating famous paintings that have been hidden all over the italian countryside The artworks were hidden, of course, to prevent them from being looted by Germans. The other main character in the novel is a young British soldier named Ulysses Temper. Ulysses is in his early 20s. He's bright, charming, optimistic, and in denial of the danger that surrounds him every day. One afternoon, Ulysses drives his captain and Evelyn Skinner to a farmhouse to show Evelyn some paintings that were just found. While they're unwrapping the artwork, bombs start falling as German planes fly overhead. Evelyn and Ulysses end up sharing a highly intense moment of crisis that emotionally impacts them the rest of their lives. After the war is over, the reader follows Ulysses as he returns home to England in civilian life. He, as is true with all soldiers after war, now has to decide what he's going to do with his life. The novel stays with Ulysses over the course of several decades, and his story is just beautiful. Three quarters through the book, Ulysses and Evelyn again cross paths, and we find out about Evelyn's life after the war. I'm going to stop there in terms of storyline, as I don't want to reveal too much. I love, love, love this novel. It's so character-driven and so atmospheric. Mm. It's set in both England and Italy during the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And Sarah Winman's writing is so incredibly vivid, and it makes you feel like you're really there. I love your use of the word atmospheric. It really is. You can almost like smell the secondhand smoke like in the, this cafe in Italy. It's just, it's that vivid. It, it sounds beautiful. It, and I know it, we opened up by saying I had to pry the book out of your hands to leave it in uh, Barcelona, but you have since purchased a new copy and a second one as a gift to, uh, to my sister. Yeah. And there were three things I just loved about it. Um, 
I think there are a lot of novels that take place during World War II. Mm -hmm. This novel takes place, the majority of the book takes place after the war, which is very unusual for a storyline, and I really like that. It's a post-war story. Yeah. The second thing I really appreciated is that this wasn't a love story. Instead, it was a friendship story. Mm. Evelyn and Ulysses, their friendship was just so delightful. At the start of the book, she's 60, he's 20. They come from very different points in their life they have nothing in common yet they share you know the war together and it's it's such a unique storyline um third i adored every single character in the story um evelyn and ulysses and all of the secondary characters were so richly developed each were flawed in ways that were so genuine um and it was so they were so universal in their flaws and it was just such a pleasure to read and i think because the book takes place over the course of several decades sarah woman is able to pull in so many different themes over the course of those decades some of them that really stuck out were you know the healing and reinventing oneself the power the restorative power of art and beauty and and travel and change and I think um, the one that really stuck out is the grounding stability of routine and friendships. And it's about family not always being biological. I felt rejuvenated by the storyline. It was just beautiful. Thank you for that review. It really sounds like such a captivating story. It'll be on my to-read pile before you know it. Yeah. You know, this is the second book I've read of hers. I read Tin Man, which came out right. a few years ago. And I loved it equally, equally. For our listeners, the book again is called Still Life. It was published by Putnam in 2021. Sarah Winman is a white British author who lives in London, England, and she has written four novels. Her first name is spelled S-A-R-A-H. Her last name is spelled W-I-N-M-A-N. really excited about this book, Radiant Fugitives, by Nawaz Ahmed. It's a modern family saga that gracefully combines 21st century conflicts like race, politics, religion, and sexuality with family dynamics like sibling rivalry, jealousy, betrayal, and forgiveness. Set in San Francisco in the year 2010, the novel has three main characters, sisters Seema and Tahira and their mother Nafisa. There's been little contact between these three women since Seema came out as a lesbian 15 years ago, but they're brought together for one tumultuous week to usher in the birth of Seema's first child. Raised in India by non-practicing Muslim Indian parents, Seema moved west shortly after college when her father exiled her from the family for dating a girl. Fast forward to the year 2010, Seema is living in San Francisco, nine months pregnant and estranged from her ex-husband. Her sister and mother are unaware that Seema is dating women again, and Seema is hesitant to tell them. Seema's ailing mother, Nafisa, has traveled to San Francisco from India against her husband's wishes so that she may be present for the birth of her grandson and in hopes of making amends with her eldest daughter. Once together, Nafisa finds herself in a tug-of-war, awkwardly balancing her love for her two very different daughters. Tahira is Seema's younger sister. They were once very close, despite Tahira's jealousy that their father doted on his eldest daughter. Even after he banned Seema from their home, Tahira could never gain her father's adoration the way Seema had. So soon after Seema was exiled from the family, Tahira became a devout Muslim and, against her father's wishes, married a deeply religious Muslim man. 
now as a practicing OBGYN, Tahira begrudgingly agrees to be with her sister and mother, temporarily leaving her medical practice, her husband, and her two small children in Irvine, Texas. In her absence, threats against the Muslim community hit close to home, adding to the stress and friction that Tahira experiences while in San Francisco with her sister and her mother. The gathering of these three women, mother, daughters, and sisters, is strained from the very start. A family that was once so close has been deeply fractured by years of silence and divided by politics, religion, jealousy, and betrayal. Each of the three main characters is conflicted over decisions they've made in the past and uncertain of the decisions that lay before them. Afraid of afflicting new disappointments upon each other, how do they mend their relationships without betraying themselves? Like, wow, that sounds really good. It <laughs> what is. Were your, what were your favorite parts? It's such a good book. You know, I loved the book for its complexity of emotions and convictions mm. that each of the characters hold. And in a way, this one family represents a world or a nation in crisis and in conflict with itself. Mm. That is interesting. I mean, they come... I mean, there's a continuum of religion. It sounds like some one person's on the West Coast, very liberal. One person's mm-hmm. from Texas, very conservative. And, right, and mom's coming in from India. Right, yeah, it's a lot. And so of... you've got generational mm. issues merging with even just different politics and, and cultures. Okay, and in terms of, I, it's helpful for me when I know how much of a tearjerker a book is like on a, on a scale of one box of tissues to five <laughs> boxes of tissues, what would you say this is? That'd be a, a neat rating, <laughs> a new uh, book rating. <laughs> um, for me, it was not a tearjerker. Hmm. Um, I, I did read some reviews that some people said they were brought to tears by the end. And hmm. I totally understand why the last chapter can be considered a tearjerker. But for me, it was a sobering ending. Hmm. Um, but it was so powerful. I really love what this author has done. I was in awe, actually, about how seamlessly Ahmed wove several different themes into this tightly written novel. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, you've got to read this book. I'm looking forward to reading it too. You, the whole time you were reading it, you kept commenting about how much you liked it, and the cover is just beautiful. Oh my god! Yeah, the cover is really one of those you want to prominently display on yeah. the bookshelf, face yeah. out. <laughs> Author Nawaz Ahmed was born in India. He earned his MFA degree from the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and now lives in Brooklyn, New York. Radiant Fugitives is his debut novel, published by Counterpoint Press in August of 2021. His first name is spelled N-A-W-A-A-Z. His last name is A-H-M-E-D. Our next book today is a novel entitled The Twilight Zone by Nona Fernandez, a Chilean author. The book was originally published in Chile in 2016 and was translated into English and published in the U.S. in 2021 by Grey Wolf Press. This novel is historical fiction. At the heart of the novel is a horrific dictatorship that lasted from 1973 to 1990. In 1973, Chilean General Augusto Pinochet forcefully overthrew the democratically elected president Salvador Allende with the aid of all four branches of the military. After the successful coup, General Pinochet refused to transition power back to a civilian government and instead dissolved Congress and declared himself the president of Chile. Chileans lived under Pinochet's far-right military dictatorship from 1973 to 1990. 
On August 27, 1984, during the height of the Pinochet dictatorship, a man by the name of Andres Valenzuela walked into the editorial offices of Cause Magazine in Santiago and requested to speak with a reporter. He then confessed to the abduction, torture, and murder of thousands of suspected political dissidents under the direction of the military. After the interview was published, Andres Valenzuela fled to France where he voluntarily testified over the course of years about the torture and murders he participated in. He also continued to assist authorities in Chile after the dictatorship in reviewing photos of those Chilean citizens still missing to see if he perhaps recognized them. It was eventually uncovered that over the course of Pinochet's dictatorship, over 38,000 Chilean citizens had been pulled from their homes and tortured by the military. In addition to the known murders, thousands of people simply disappeared and were never found or heard from again. This history is the subject of the novel, The Twilight Zone. The novel is about an unnamed female protagonist. The story goes back and forth between 1984, when she is 13 years old, living under the Pinochet dictatorship, and her life as an adult in her 30s and 40s after the Pinochet dictatorship has ended. The story begins when the protagonist is 13, and she is reading the confessions of Andres Valenzuela's in Cause magazine. As she studies his photo on the cover of the magazine, she is horrified by how normal and plain he looks. He looks as ordinary as my science teacher, she thinks. How ordinary he appears means for her that anyone then can be a monster. And she becomes obsessed with Andres Valenzuela. How do ordinary men turn into monsters? How can a normal looking man torture people by day and then go home to their wives and children at night with a complete lack of conscience and remorse? As the novel moves forward, we follow the adolescent protagonist as she tries to make sense of what's happening in her country. As an adult, the protagonist works as a writer in television. The Pinochet dictatorship is long over and she is working on a documentary about Andres Valenzuela. As a journalist, she revives the memories of those kidnapped, and she, along with the survivors of the disappeared, try to deal with their grief while they also try to move on with their lives. This book is so moving. This sounds like an important piece of history that we should all have awareness about. Yeah, you know, and I really appreciate works of historical fiction like this because it allows readers to learn about history if they don't have the ability to commit to a 500-page nonfiction book about the Pinochet dictatorship, for example. And Nona Fernandez skillfully in a concise 219-page novel really immerses the reader into what it was like for Chileans under that dictatorship. So good. You know, I'm surprised that she chose the title The Twilight Zone, though, because you know, if I'm in a bookstore and I come across that title, I might assume it's a science fiction book or right. that it's different, just a duplicate of the series of Twilight Zone, which is great, but it's very different from what this book is actually about. Why? That's a really good point. Yeah. You know, I, if I saw the book in that way too, I, I think I would have felt the same and just glossed right over it. But I, I think I read about it in a magazine, uh, Publishers Weekly, I think. And it's interesting, the title that she picked for her growing up every day she would waited after school for her mom to come home and the tv show that was always on was the twilight zone as she became more aware about what was happening in her country it felt surreal to her 
in the same manner that those old Twilight Zone episodes unfolded. Everything feels normal until this element of horror kind of gets dropped into the story and it doesn't feel real. And Mm. that's why she related to it so much. And is that the case for the author and the main character or one or the other? It's the protagonist in the story who's watching the Twilight Zone. On a separate note and unrelated to the book, I was surprised to find out that Salvador Allende, the president who was overthrown, was the uncle of the famous author Isabel Allende. That's a fascinating nugget. Yeah, she was in her 30s and working as a journalist in Chile when the government was overthrown and she was forced to flee the country with her husband and children in the middle of the 70s. Whoa. I know. I, I did not know that. On a final note, there's a beautiful museum in Santiago, Chile, called the Museum of Memory and Human Rights. It's dedicated to the memory of the victims of the Pinochet dictatorship. The museum also addresses human rights violations worldwide. The book was incredibly enlightening, and I'm so grateful I read it. Mm. The title again is The Twilight Zone. The author's name is Nona Fernandez. Her first name is spelled N-O-N-A. Her last name is spelled F-E-R. N-A-N-D-E-Z. If you're looking for a short but powerful story, Assembly by Natasha Brown is a piercing novella of only 102 pages. The protagonist is an unnamed black British woman at the height of her career. Written in the first person, the protagonist is the narrator of her own story. Over the course of two days, we observe the narrator at work, surrounded by white male colleagues, in her doctor's office, and later to an elaborate event hosted at the estate of her boyfriend's parents. As a black woman at the top of the corporate ladder, she is dismayed and disappointed that although she has, quote, arrived, she feels no satisfaction, no safety, no security. In her words, quote, there is no success, only a temporary aversion of failure, end quote. At work and around her boyfriend's family, She can't relax because she's never truly accepted. Acceptance is forever outside of her grasp. Every day, she has to wind herself up to play a role that's expected of her. Her appearance, her speech, her mannerisms must meet the acceptability of those who judge and critique her. As tensions increase and the protagonist is at a breaking point, she wonders, is it all worth it? This is an incredible novella. Natasha Brown's writing is precise, sharp, and evocative. We first experienced this novella as an audiobook while we were waiting for our copy to arrive in the mail. And wow, was it impactful. Read by Pippa Bennett Warner, she is deserving of an audio word for her narration of this novella. Embodying the character, she speaks in a very controlled, even-pitched volume, but behind her voice, there is intense emotion that just grabs you. Precision is such a perfect word for Natasha Brown's writing. I especially enjoy how she describes people in three succinct and vivid adjectives. Quote, the receptionists, young, pretty, interchangeable, were polite always, end quote. The protagonist describes a friend, quote, my friend Rach, small, spoiled, energetic, end quote. It's so clean and precise. Her writing is yeah. so tight. Yeah. And I want to emphasize to our listeners This is one of those books that you should experience both in the written form and as an audio book. It's short, but wow, both mediums are 
just amazingly just amazing and i agree with you the narrator she was so controlled in how she spoke but the emotion behind it was her exhaustion her it was so good so good and you and i have talked too about how this novella should be adapted to the stage yeah i can see it on broadway as a monologue yeah this book is something you really impactful is the word for it definitely yeah The book again is Assembly by Natasha Brown, published by Little Brown and Company in September of 2021. Natasha Brown is a Black British author who spent a decade working in financial services. Assembly is her debut novella, and we can't wait to see more writing from her. So the author Anne Rice recently passed away, and that inspired me to find a vampire novel to read in her memory. Because I read her vampire novels years ago, I went on the hunt for something new and came upon a book called Certain Dark Things by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Sylvia Moreno-Garcia is, of course, the best-selling author of Mexican Gothic. Her vampire novel, Certain Dark Things, was originally published in 2016. The copy I read is a new paperback version with a really fun cover that was published this year by Macmillan. The novel is set in Mexico City, Mexico, and in the contemporary world the author creates, vampires exist. What is unique in this story is that there are 10 species of vampires all over the world, most having ancient lineages. There is a line of vampires from pre-Hispanic Mexico, for example, who are Aztec. There is a clan of Egyptian vampires, a clan from China, Africa, Europe, and so on. Each of these subspecies of vampires are also very different from one another. Their lifespans are different, their physical strength and abilities vary greatly, and their vulnerabilities are different as well. Conflict arises in the story when it is rumored that the newest species of vampire from medieval Europe are breaking centuries-old customs and treaties between the vampire clans. In Mexico specifically, conflict between vampire clans has escalated significantly. Against this backdrop, two humans end up getting caught in the middle of all of this. One protagonist is a homeless young man named Domingo, and the other character is a Mexico City police officer named Ana, who is a single mother. I love this book because Sylvia Moreno-Garcia takes the vampire storyline and develops it into something so much more elaborate and inventive. I could not put it down and enjoyed it immensely. I would honestly categorize this book more as a thriller and fantasy than I would horror. If you're listening to the show and enjoyed Anne Rice's novels back in the day, you would definitely enjoy the novel Certain Dark Things. Sylvia Moreno-Garcia is a Mexican-Canadian author who lives in Vancouver, Canada. She's the author of seven novels and numerous short stories. Her first name is spelled S-I-L-V-I-A. Her last name is hyphenated and spelled M-O-R-E-N-O hyphen G-A-R-C-I-A. That wraps up this episode, but thank you so much for listening. And please remember, you can purchase any of the books we discussed today by clicking the link to our bookshop page. We receive a portion of each purchase that goes towards the production for the podcast. Please like us and give us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. And most importantly, thank you for listening to You've Got to Read This.